0: Our immediate intent was to use ayahuasca as an MAO inhibitor and a problem-solving drug, and to brew and take the Banisteriopsis capi that Ev and I had gotten from Basilio a few days before. Our move began shortly after dawn in order to avoid the heat of the day. The trek to move ourselves and our equipment to the new home involved going through the pastures, which we had not seen since our mushroom experience two days before. The stropharia seemed to be everywhere, there seemed not to be a cow-pie without its golden flush of perfect mushrooms. I promised myself that as soon as we had squared away the new hut and otherwise settled in, that we should again take the mushrooms. We wondered, why? Why us? To such questions the mushrooms spoke in my mind without hesitation because you have diligently sought the good, and because you trusted no human being more than yourself. The emotional impact of these sorts of exchanges was intense beyond anything I have ever experienced. I felt humbly grateful to the point of tears, I felt exalted. We wanted to salvage paradise for humanity, and we thanked all gods and nature that our eccentric quest, out of all the lives and paths being lived on the earth, was placed by fate to be so near the cutting edge. Where the elder shamanism had failed, we would succeed. The rescue of the timeless pearl of human immortality from the well of death would, through the act of hypercarbulation, become a living reality for every person who had ever lived. All the pain and suffering and war and desperation would somehow be replayed and made right through the intercession of the mystery of higher dimensions and backward flowing time. The wave of understanding that had been gaining since the 27th of January was now about to crest. The wave was so strong as to be nearly visible in everything around us. The lenticular shape of the approaching lapis seemed to be everywhere that I looked. Every shape and form around me was pregnant with its unearthly opalescent depths. Before our small party of fellow explorers, Dennis and I wept and exulted, addressing the living and the dead with equal candor, saying things that should have been said years before, and things that could not have even been imagined only hours before. We knew that we were behaving bizarrely and were highly emotional, but the intensifying wave of understanding that had gathered itself around us explained all of this. It was, we were assured and assured each other, because ahead of us in time the experimental attempt at hypercarbulation had already succeeded. So many lines of probable fate were sweeping toward the staggering moment of culmination, that its inevitability was already sending shock waves and distorted images of the millennium crashing backwards through time. Dennis recently reminded me that I assured all present that so inevitable had our experiment become that if we did not tend the fire and brew the yah then these things would be done by themselves. Dry wood rustling out of the forest, gathering itself into the ring of fire-stones and there to burst into flames. The yah spontaneously shredding and immersing itself in the waiting pot of water. At the time, this was an easy extrapolation from the hurricane of shamanic gnosis and synchronistic coincidences that was both confirming our success to come and at the same time distorting the very ontological basis of our reality as the inevitable choro of time and necessity narrowed around us and the black hole of a hypercarbolation attempt strengthened its grip on us and drew us with ever-increasing inevitability toward the singularity in time where an unimaginable transformation awaited all on our planet. A transformation so beyond rational understanding that its scattered and distorted reflections were mysteries in the keeping of reason-flaunting religions that have haunted human thinking since the dimmest beginnings. Running through my mind then, for the first time in years, was a childhood carol long forgotten. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie! Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. There was another aspect to the reveries in which I was immersed. This was something that I imagine is conventionally known as remembering previous incarnations. There was an influx of information about being another person in another time, but the time was fantastically ancient and the world portrayed without any historical validity. Perhaps these images come from the same depths that are the source, for some people, of the conviction that Atlantis or Lemuria once ruled a world no trace of which remains. My reincarnation memories were not of life as a citizen in one of those occult locales. Rather, my reminiscence was set in the mountainous heart of Central Asia, It was the age of these images that made me gasp, for even as the images filled my mind, an invisible presence was assuring me that this was a human existence lived out 8,000 years in the past. I recognized myself as a reflex of Tingi, the first shaman, a powerful magician and an inhabitant of Tibet eight millennia ago not a primitive, but a technician of hallucinogens and crystals whose long gaze pierced into future time, even to the resolution of our little expedition poised on the brink of the perfection of the opus. It was as though I understood myself to be, on one level, The living reflex and tool of this eldritch ancestor, a super-shaman actually in charge of the effort to recreate the ontological status that all shamans have always claimed, that of being able to travel to the stars and the places of the dead and return. That was the task of this pun master, touching many events and minds in the long and meandering river of centuries.